This episode is sponsored by Ventures FM, which helps businesses, universities, nonprofits, and individuals utilize the power of audio to reach their target audiences. Want to bridge the gap between you and your audience? The intimacy of audio might be the key. Go to ventures.fm to learn more. Hi, I'm Adela Mizrachi, founder of Podcast Brunch Club, which is like book club, but for podcasts. And I'm Lauren Passell, founder of Tink Media, a podcast marketing company, and I'm the editor of Podcast the Newsletter and Podcast Marketing Magic. And you're listening to Feed the Q, where at random times, we will feed your Q with an episode of a dazzling show that we love, but don't think enough people are listening to. Okay, Adela, you ready? Let's get into it. Hi, Lauren here. I'm about to treat you to something that is one of my favorite finds of the year, Alabama Astronaut. And I found it on Reddit, and I don't think nearly enough people are talking about it. And it's about preachers and serpent handling, but it's actually really about the music of Appalachia. And the storytelling follows no playbook. It's packed with history, science, philosophy, and the religion of serpent handling. There's all this traveling, there's, there are interviews, and you get to hear the audio of serpent handling services that seem so intimate. It's like you shouldn't even be allowed to hear it. And it, it really hasn't, some of this music hasn't really been heard before. It's this guy Abe's journey to kind of better understand the music and the people and the place the music comes from. And it's covering this very taboo subject, but Abe is not judging these believers. That's not what it's about. It's really about the music, which is, you know, if you're handling serpents, maybe it's the most punk rock music of all time. So I love podcasts that touch on religion in cultural ways. And this is not like a religious podcast, but it's about the religious services that birthed this serpent handling, which is just absolutely fascinating. It's been passed down church to church over the years, and it's documented by these songs and the people making the music. There's nothing like Alabama Astronaut, nothing like the feeling, the story, this kind of like underreported topic is covered in a really exciting way. I hope you like it. In this podcast, you are going to hear a lot of clips that my friend captured on a little Sony handheld recorder. But one clip I think of in particular when I look back on just how bonkers the year 2020 was and the onset of the pandemic, it's this one. What you hear is a serpent handling preacher dragging my friend around a serpent handling church to show the congregation how this artist from Alabama was not free, was earthbound, unable to transcend. But before it was over, my friend would make believers out of all of us. Me and you are weird dudes, man. You know that. You know how weird you are, right? You are a very strange dude. You are a very peculiar person. Hello, my name is Farrell Gibbs, host of this podcast, and the man you just heard calling me peculiar is the original Alabama astronaut, Mr. Abraham Partridge. Abraham, that's what the serpent handlers call him, but you can call him Abe. You uprooted your whole life and moved 
to help your wife be able to get into veterinarian school. You live on a farm in Houston, Texas. You went from being a gas station worker to a podcaster for one of the biggest newspapers. Dude, you're weird. You're one of the very few people in the world I rant to, you know? Even before we started this podcast, I'd call you and we'd, I, you know, we just talked for an hour, you know, and I've only got like a handful of guys that are even are willing to listen. If you wonder how I feel about this man calling me peculiar, after conducting countless hours of interviews with him over the 12 craziest months that modern America has yet to witness, an artist who has granted me complete and total access to his mind that is captivatingly full of opinions on art and life and music and humanity in our current culture? Well, I must say, this man calling me peculiar was absolutely one of the best compliments I've ever received. Last Saturday night, after Abe talked me into leaving my home studio in Texas, where I had been safely quarantined, to tag along with him and do whatever it is that peculiar people do, and that was to descend upon a poverty-stricken town called Gray, Kentucky, with so many telltale signs of hard living that led all the way up to the address we'd typed into Google Maps, the free Pentecostal house of prayer. My heart thudded like a drum. Wonderful man of God, he's here with us tonight. Uh, if I didn't have these brothers back here, they come from Alabama to be with us tonight. We'll treat them, we'll treat them Texas, Texas, I said Alabama. Uh, we'll treat them so many ways you have to hike like one. So we're glad to have you. Uh, glad to see Sister Cynthia come out and be with us now. Inside the small building that seemed to have pulled us toward it across the country like a tractor beam, I knew that poison would soon be consumed, and that people would soon take turns passing around torches and lighting themselves on fire. And most concerningly, I knew that there were going to be snakes, big ones, venomous ones. What in the hell was I doing in Gray, Kentucky? It was as simple as this. I was there for the music and nothing more. When I had first taken my seat in the back of the church, which is where Abe and I thought the outsiders were supposed to sit in these churches, in the very back row, and after the congregants gave us a quick glance and concluded that we were probably just a couple of thrill-seekers who had come that night to check off another item on their bucket list, I scanned the musicians on stage to see what we were in for, and boy, was I ever disappointed. <laughs> Guitarists, bassists, an organist, even a squadron of tambourinists, just nonchalantly chatting with each other before church began. I tried to gauge the caliber of players who would be performing that night, the ones who were supposedly so incredible, whose music was so purely uncontaminated and, quote, on fire, that it was all worth coming across the country to see. But all it took was a single glance to know... There didn't seem to be a real player on that stage. Nobody tuning up their guitar. Nobody fussing over any chord charts or leaning into their bandmates with whispers to make sure they had the proper lyrics to sing that night. The way I had seen it done in a million other churches leading up to so many modern day services that I had attended and even played in. And the kicker? Oh, by far the worst thing about it. Saddled up to the drums, was a preteen congregant. 
The drumsticks in her hands were as limp as dead snakes. Her mind seemed a million miles away from the music she would soon be asked to play. And just as I began to curse that peculiar nature inside of me that had brought me all the way out from Houston and had clearly done me wrong, once again in this crazy life, just about at that very moment, church began. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord, everybody. And that is when everything changed. I would like to start things off by saying that, indeed, this is not a podcast about religion. It is not a podcast about handling snakes or drinking harmful substances. And this is something we intend to remind you of often because as you are immersed in the lore of this group who does handle fire, consumes poison, and free handles some of the most venomous snakes in the world, our concern is that you lose sight of what this is all about. And that is, it's a Lomaxian quest to document a set of songs that have to this point never before been properly documented. You know, what you call a Lomaxian quest, it's not because I want to be some kind of musicologist. That's Abe again, speaking from the road. Full disclosure, I just let him hear a working draft of this very episode you are listening to. And he has requested that I please make sure to convey to you what his real interests are here. I want to be around art that is authentic, real, and moving. This is what I found that to me is the most authentic, real, and moving art I've ever experienced. That's why this whole podcast is happening. The fact that it's undocumented is... It's secondary, and I think it's cool because that needs to go up at the beginning of the podcast. I love the introduction because it explains, it explains what I'm willing to be tied up. You know what I mean? Yes, you heard that correctly. Tied up at the service we attended Saturday night. Literally tied up, hands bound completely at the mercy of whatever way the Spirit decided to move those people of Gray, Kentucky. Did you think the voices you just heard were the congregants surrounding us, their chorus culminating into an earth-shattering crescendo around a helplessly bound Abe? No, not at all. This is what is known as a field recording, And those folks singing were the Alabama Sacred Harp Singers, who made those sounds nearly 90 years ago. And they did it for a man named John Avery Lomax, accompanied by his son, Alan Lomax. We will take you back to this service in a moment, and you can hear firsthand how it came to be that Abe got all tied up. But first, let's take a moment and break down for you what's so unique about what Abe is trying to accomplish and why, as Abe said, he would be willing to be tied up to accomplish it. Consider this passage in what is arguably the definitive work on the serpent-handling faith, Them That Believe, by Drs. Ralph Hood and W. Paul Williamson. Of course, for the first 189 pages, they write extensively about the strychnine drinking and the butane torches. 
and the cobra handling, and the cotton mouths, and the timber rattlers, and the copperheads. But then, on page 190, they write this. As important as music is to the serpent-handling churches, it is surprising it has gotten so little attention in the literature. When he first visited a serpent-handling church in Alabama, admittedly lured in by the snakes and the poison and the spectacle of it all, Abe was instead smitten by their songs. He went home and Googled the songs, typing in lyrics that he heard, but none of the songs could be found, and some of them were many decades old. This is where our story intersects with a fascinating, century-old, all-American tale about a man named John Avery Lomax and his music-documenting son, Alan. Remarkably, this podcast touches that vein of American music history in not one, but two incredibly interesting ways. Here is the first connecting thread. I am a poor pilgrim of sorrow, chased out in this wide world to roam. I have no hopes of tomorrow. I started to make heaven my home. In 1933, the month of June, John Avery Lomax embarked upon a field recording journey to capture the folk music of America with focus on the poor, the marginalized, Many of these songs in those times were passed along as they always had been, from person to person and performance to performance. And so, to prevent further loss of any of these songs, Mr. Lomax obtained a 315-pound acetate phonograph disc recorder that he plopped into the trunk of his Ford sedan and set off to capture. I started to make it my home. He was the perfect man for the job. He'd already been at this for most of his life, compiling a document called Cowboy Songs back when he was a kid, a scroll that he carried with him all the way to college at the University of Texas, until one day he proudly presented it to his English professor, a man named Morgan Calloway. Unfortunately, Calloway failed to see the value in the songs. He called them cheap and unworthy. And so Lomax was sent behind the men's dormitory to set the book on fire. But that did not deter him. After college, he continued to show a knack for discovering the great American songs and artists, including Home on the Range and the legendary artist Lead Belly. But here is one central to the area we are concerned with. A group from Harlan, Kentucky, recorded by John Avery and Alan Lomax back in 1938. Abraham, the serpent handlers call him. He's a folk artist, a songwriter, and I suppose now we can call him a song catcher. We became friends about three years ago. We both still lived in Alabama then, both of us musicians in the city of Mobile. That was until the day I started podcasting, and then soon after, I chased an opportunity that took me to Houston, where I landed a job podcasting for the Houston Chronicle. Fortunately, Abe didn't let me leave Alabama so easily. 
He would call from Mobile every few months or so to check in on me, to keep me up to date about all the goings-on back in the Mobile music scene. And it went like this for a while, until this past summer, when everything changed. All eyes on the deadly coronavirus that has finally made its way to the U.S. What we know now, a resident from Washington state became sick after traveling to Wuhan, China, the outbreak's epicenter. CDC officials say that hundreds of people have gotten sick so far and nine have died. The WHO is holding As the world suddenly screeched to a halt with all the difficulties resulting from the coronavirus pandemic from that day forward, I noticed a shift in our conversation. It turned to a deep obsession that Abe had developed with notable serpent handlers, both alive and mortally snake-bitten. I made an art book of them, he told me. I drew all the rock stars of the faith. Guys like Punkin' Brown, Melinda Brown, Jamie Coots, Jimmy Morrow. He asked me if I would write the foreword for his book. Of course, I knew nothing about the serpent handling faith, but when I saw the PDF file of his book, it was absolutely incredible. A comprehensive depiction of every famous personality in that world, each page more glorious in its deep musty browns and heavy blacks, burnt reds and glowing golds than the last, It would be a perfect addition to any hip coffee table anywhere in America. Of course, I told him, I would be honored to write a foreword for you. And that is where I thought this story would end. It must have surprised the first handlers he met when they realized he wasn't after the snakes at all. Every curious outsider, at least at first, is always interested in the snakes and only the snakes. But for Abe, he was seeing or I guess we should say hearing, something completely different. I have found undocumented music, he told me, powerful music, raw, primitive, and wild. Songs that Lomax, for some reason, never thought to record. And I bet it was for the same reason that no one has done it since. Nobody likes these people. When he told me this, all I could think to say was, How in the world do you know about John Avery Lomax? Because I, myself, wouldn't have known who Lomax was if not for the second remarkable intersection that our story has with Mr. Lomax. Back before all this talk about snakes, back when I still lived in Alabama but was angling for that podcasting job at the Houston Chronicle, I had been in touch with multimedia director Lisa Gray. She's a beloved Houston writer. Also, she is a senior writer for the Houston Chronicle. One day, absolutely out of the blue, she sends me this email with another person CC'd. Hi, Farrell. Meet John Nova Lomax. Works for Texas Monthly. Has a killer Texas accent. And he knows something about music. He's one of those Lomaxes. In my reply, I absolutely acted like I knew who the Lomaxes were, but I had no idea. I googled them and discovered that, apparently, the guy on this email chain was the great-grandson of John Avery Lomax. His uncle, also famous, was renowned song catcher Alan Lomax, and his father was the country music journalist who had managed Towns Van Zandt and Steve Earle, among others. As desperate as I was for a job in Texas, I invited John Nova Lomax to my house to stay who was on a cross-country self-discovery tour at the time. I told him to come stay a few days on his way back to Texas. He agreed and came and stayed with me for a few days. An incredible writer. He had been a music critic in Houston for quite a while. 
I asked him on the last day if he would let me interview him in my home studio, perhaps even make a podcast episode out of it. Well, he obliged, and looking back on our interview, especially from this perspective of the snakes and the songs about snakes and music that is documented versus undocumented, the very end of that interview was the most remarkable part. Because before I signed off, he mumbled to me a meek request. Would I let him sing a song, a cappella, into the microphone? I don't do this often, he explained to me, so I don't know how this is going to sound. And just give me a minute to get ready because I'm nervous. And then he sang a song to me. I will try to do this song. You know, I have the, the lyrics that I want, so uh, whenever. Well, lay it down now. I'll be looking at my eyes. All right. This is an old Texas folk song that uh, ended up being collected by my great-grandfather. Hold on. Oh, come all you rangers, wherever you may be. I had no idea the relevance of that moment two years ago, but I surely know it now, that John Avery Lomax's great-grandson was doing exactly what was in his pedigree to do. Pass along a folk song, because to pass along a song from one person to another means something. John Nova Lomax and I have been friends ever since then, I suppose. Friends online, for sure. And just the other day, even as immersed as I am in all this snake business, I happened to see one of his social media posts go by. And when I saw it, my jaw hit the floor. This is what he said. There are times when I have dreamed of hitting the road with my dad and my kids, seeking out the undiscovered music of America, as our ancestors had done. I have despaired. As the earlier Lomaxes had the advantages of being among the first to do what they did, a public that was more musical than ours is today because more people sang and played back then, and we had fewer people who dreamed of becoming pop stars and instead just played for love and mastery, who is left out there to discover? Anyone? Is it Providence that I interviewed the great-grandson of John Avery Lomax, fourth-generation folk music documentarian just two years before, my peculiar friend calls me and says, I have found undocumented music. Which brings us all the way back to last Saturday night in misty gray Kentucky. I was dizzy, reeling from what was clearly the greatest musical experience I have ever beheld in my entire life. Free Pentecostal House of Prayer, Pastor Andrew Hamlin presiding. The man, a bouncing ball of charisma, all sweaty and wild, barreling across one end of the small room to another and firing without ceasing machine gun licks from a Fender Telecaster. A man who at one time at the height of his popularity had run afoul of the law and had been found guilty of reckless endangerment. But last Saturday night, Nearly six years later, the man was the Pied Piper. All passion and tears and charming, joyful desperation. And his band, regular congregants from the ages of nine to 79, including a preteen who gave us all more drums than we could possibly handle. Together, they brought all who witnessed their miracle into some sort of enlightenment or another. 
All hail the power of music. This is what I found. That to me is the most authentic, real, and moving art I've ever experienced. And yes, as Abe mentioned up top, after two and a half hours of relentless music and being bombarded with sights and sounds and passion, unlike any we had ever seen before. About that time, Pastor Hamlin made his way back to the back of the room, back to where Abe and I believed the outsiders were supposed to sit. And my eyes must have been never wider over that face mask that I had promised my wife back in Texas I would never remove on this trip. But thankfully, he passed me by and parked himself directly in front of Abe. Abraham, if you're a serpent handler. And he looked down at Abe, who is a full six feet tall. But this preacher was taller. And he scanned Abe with dark, searching eyes as every single person in the church turned fully around and looked on. Just like that, Abe and I were now part of the sermon. Hold your hands out, the preacher said to Abe. Abe surrendered them reluctantly. Hamblin then took a Gibson guitar strap and he tied Abe's hands together. I'm glad you come. I know we're a little different. But I hope it's okay. Then he said, can you pull your hands apart? Can you? Can you pull your hands apart? Abe shook his head no. Okay. Why can't you pull your hands apart? You tied him up, said Abe. With yet another guitar strap he was carrying, the preacher tied a lead rope to Abe's bound wrists. Now what? Now what's the matter? Leading a reluctant Abe like a cowboy trying to drag a stubborn steer. Abe, all tied up, suddenly engulfed by the entranced celebratory mob, was now leaving me behind, all by myself. In the back row, where the outsiders sit, in a snake-handling church, on the outskirts, of Gray, Kentucky. But now, let's leave this service. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. We will return to this service, to this musical performance, because it deserves its own entire episode. You have to hear how all of this started, the adventure that brought us to this point. Let's go back to the pandemic summer when I was just as new to all of this as you probably are, back when Abe first called about his art book with all the legendary serpent handlers. One final thing I would like to say before I put on my host cap. I feel compelled to tell you for your sake, for the sake of the serpent handlers, that I recently have realized I've always had a sort of disdain for the serpent handling faith even since I was a kid. I guess I had this underlying prejudice that if you would pick up a snake in the name of religion, then you were something akin to those you might find in a roadside carnival tent. Freaks, basically. A sideshow act. 
Not only that, but as excited as Abe was about the music, these congregations of 20 or 30 or so people in these off-the-beaten-path towns at the bases of mountains, that they would play music to knock my socks off? Nope, no way. I've seen jazz at the Lincoln Center, Tedeschi Trucks in New Orleans, Neil Young at the Sanger in Mobile, Jack White at the Sanger in New Orleans. When it comes to music, and religion for that matter, I am a very hard sell. I'm also pleased to report, so is Abe Partridge. It's one thing to podcast from your remote studio in Houston about folks in the Appalachians that you've never met and never intend to meet. It is another thing entirely to go shake their hands, to sit down with them, to have lunch with them, and to look them in the eye and try to understand them. I want to leave all of my skepticism in. This show is the result of hundreds of hours of recorded conversations with Mr. Abe Partridge, which revolved around his frequent visits over the span of a year to serpent-handling churches across Appalachia. The conversations were mostly chronological and should present you with an avalanche of characters, occurrences, and locations that will come at you as fast as Abe can speak them. But don't be daunted. You will become familiar with all the parties involved. And now, with all of that said, if all hearts and minds are clear, let's go to church. Thanks for listening to Feed the Q. We hope you liked what you just heard. Let us know if you did or didn't. And send us your own podcast recommendations to feedtheq, that's Q-U-E-U-E, at gmail.com. You can also call Tink's podcast recommendation hotline, which is 1-844-POD-AT-ME. And that's 1-844-763-2863. You'll hear a new podcast recommendation every day, and you can leave your own podcast recommendation at the beep. But don't worry, nobody will ever answer the call. We'll listen to your recommendations and consider them for future episodes of Feed the Q. And you can find me at tinkmedia.co or on Twitter at Lauren Passell. And you can find me and more about Podcast Brunch Club at podcastbrunchclub.com or at Podcast Brunch on all of the socials. And look for information about the show you just heard and ways to get in touch with us in the show notes. And that's a wrap. See you when we see you. Bye.